Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, editor of Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brendan Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us today attorney Gene Golden from the law firm of Cassidy Shade LLP in Chicago, Illinois. Gene is a partner with the firm. She engages in the practice of insurance and commercial law, and she also chairs the firm's insurance practice group and is a member of their executive committee. Jean, we're very pleased to have you with us today. Well, thank you very much, John. Today's topic is insurance coverage liability for foodborne illness, and Brendan Noonan is going to lead off today with our first question. Uh, Jean, what are some of the most heavily litigated coverage issues in the context of food contamination claims? Well, Brendan, in the case of illness due to the ingestion of contaminated food, one of the most heavily litigated issues relates to the number of occurrences presented. Now, to illustrate, last June, there was an E. coli outbreak that affected 14 people in six different states where one person died. In this situation, are there 14 occurrences? If 1,000 people became ill, would there be 1,000 occurrences? The term occurrence, I should mention, is defined in most CGL policies as, quote, an accident, including continued or repeated exposure to substantially the same condition, end quote. So how do we figure out how many occurrences are presented in terms of one outbreak? Well, the courts in the United States have developed three tests to address this issue. And unfortunately, but perhaps not surprisingly, the decisions in this area have not been consistent. The cause test which represents the majority rule, generally looks to the source or cause of the injury, while the effects test, which is a minority rule, looks to the number of injuries. A few states apply what's called the unfortunate events test, which looks to the event or events for which the insured is being held liable. In an Illinois case called Mason versus Home Insurance, The insured restaurant served contaminated onions over a period of three days. The court held that each serving was a separate occurrence under the cause test, implying, but not directly stating, that there was negligence by the insured each time the restaurant cooked the onions for a customer. Now, we recently represented a primary insurer in a case here in the Northern District of Illinois in which a company that produced ground beef was sued after a man and his granddaughter became sick. The man had eaten a hamburger contaminated with E. coli. He became ill, then gave the virus to his granddaughter through physical contact with her. She had what's called a secondary infection. The court applied the cause test, but found that the cause of both injuries was the production of a batch of tainted meat, which was a discreet act, and therefore a single occurrence. That case is Travelers versus RSUI. On the other hand, in a 2007 New York court decision, the court applied the unfortunate event test and found 30 separate occurrences where 30 employees of a microwave popcorn packaging plant suffered respiratory injuries from an ingredient in butter flavoring. That case is International Flavors versus Royal. The number of occurrences involved can have a dramatic impact on the exposures of the insured and its primary and excess carriers. 
it is definitely an area to watch as these types of cases become more common. Now, very briefly, another issue that arises in this context is whether there is, quote, property damage, end quote, when tainted food is incorporated by the insured into another product, which is then disseminated on a massive basis to vendors or consumers. Courts will generally find that a product that's been compromised by a tainted ingredient falls within the definition of property damage if the ingredient cannot be removed without altering the product. If you want to take a look at a case in that regard, you can see a case called Travelers versus Dammon, D-A-M-M-O-N-N. What are common policy exclusions that may apply in the food contamination context? Well, in the bodily injury context, you will often see the expected or intended exclusion asserted. Now, that's an exclusion that's based on the facts of a given case, and it won't preclude the duty to defend. You used to see the pollution exclusion cited in these kinds of cases, but the courts have, throughout the United States, very narrowly construed the standard pollution exclusion, so that for the most part, it does not apply to these kinds of foodborne issues. Now, CGL policies also commonly contain a fungi and bacteria exclusion, as well as an exclusion for communicable disease. However, the standard fungi and bacteria exclusion usually contains an exception for fungi or bacteria that is in or on food. So the standard fungi and bacteria exclusion will often not apply. Now, a state court in New Jersey was recently confronted with a salmonella case, and the carrier asserted that both exclusions applied. But the court found that they were in conflict and that the fungi and bacteria exclusion controlled and did not preclude coverage. In property damage cases, the recall exclusion in the CGL policy is often implicated, and that exclusion precludes coverage for damages for the recall of the insured's product or, quote, impaired property, end quote, applying this exclusion can become complicated when tainted ingredients are incorporated into other products. In a case called Glory B, G-L-O-R-Y-B-E-E Foods, which was issued by the district court in Oregon, it was recently held that the recall exclusion only applies to damages claims related to the products of others when the insured's product is not inextricably incorporated into the product. Now, in that case, Glory B was sued by another company, Nature's Path, when contaminated peanuts manufactured by Glory B were incorporated into Nature's Path's products. Both the peanuts and the product itself had been recalled. The court found that Glory B was entitled to coverage under its CGL policy because the complaint alleged that Nature's Path products were irrevocably impaired by Glory B's peanuts. Gene, what are potential issues and challenges impacting the resolution of coverage issues when there are multiple claimants in many jurisdictions? Well, that's a good question. The reason, or, or one reason, why this can be a challenging issue is because oftentimes in foodborne illness cases, 
the product in question is disseminated over a number of states to multiple claimants who are not going to be amenable to one court's jurisdiction. And then the problem that you're confronted with as an insurer in that situation is you get a ruling or potentially have access to a ruling in one jurisdiction that won't necessarily preclude a claimant in another jurisdiction from seeking relief against you in another state or federal court. So it can be problematic. And when there are many claimants in multiple jurisdictions, an insurer has to look into whether the jurisdiction in which it is planning to litigate considers the underlying claimant to be what is called a necessary party. In other words, a party who should be brought into the case in order to bind that party. If so, the insurer has to consider how to best protect itself from collateral claims. It must analyze whether another forum, albeit more inconvenient, might offer more protection in this regard. It should also consider whether there are other parties in the lawsuit who can represent the claimant's interests adequately, which can prevent the insurer from having to name potentially hundreds or thousands of parties to its declaratory judgment action. If there are multiple lawsuits against the insured pending in different federal courts, they may be consolidated and heard before a multi-district litigation panel. And you may want to consider filing your declaratory action in that jurisdiction. Also, if the insured has filed for bankruptcy, which we are seeing more often recently, particularly in cases of catastrophic product issues, the insurer can seek what is known as a channeling injunction pursuant to Section 524G of the Bankruptcy Code, which can be an excellent way to bind all of the potential claimants in a given case. Finally, to resolve issues of fact where there are many different injuries, an insurer in a declaratory action may be able to use some form of random sampling or statistical analysis to address issues such as causation or the number of policy periods implicated. The issues presented in these circumstances can be quite complex and do require thorough analysis by the attorney and insurer. Uh, What can an insurer do to minimize its coverage risk? Well, there are, in the first-party context, types of coverages that are now being issued to better minimize the unknown coverage risks in this area. Some carriers are issuing product contamination insurance. Another type of insurance that's being issued now is recall insurance. These are certainly ways in which carriers can better anticipate and deal with loss, although the issues presented in connection with these policies have not been heavily litigated to date. Last month, the Eastern District of California affirmed the principle adopted by courts in several other states that without more, a recall is not covered under a product contamination policy. For that kind of coverage to apply, the product itself must be actually contaminated to meet a requirement contained in these policies that calls for accidental contamination. Now, another thing insurers can do, of course, 
to help minimize their risks in this area is to implement effective underwriting. Look at the insured's business. Compare it to the trends in this area and the studies that are coming out with respect to contamination. I do also note that the president signed an act known as the Food Safety Modernization Act in 2011, which does provide for more enhanced surveillance over food production and distribution. Okay, Jane, thanks very much for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me, and if you have any questions, certainly let me know, but it was a pleasure talking with you all. Thank you very much. That was Jean Golden from the law firm of Cassidy Shade LLP in Chicago, Illinois. Special thanks to Brenda Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brendan Noonan, and now this message. BEST's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is used by decision makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators, and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in BEST's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance Insurance Attorney Reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AMBEST listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed, those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there's no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about BEST's directory of recommended insurance attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com. 